Well, good morning, church. So glad to have you with us. My name's Glenn Griner. Privileged to be on staff here at Union Chapel. Don't you guys just love Christopher? Man, we appreciate him. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, hey, I know perhaps you weren't here last week. Greg and Beth made a big announcement about their retirement this coming July, so a little less than a year from now. They want you to hear from them personally. So we've got a video on social media on our website. And I'm just thrilled that God's chosen Christopher and Brittany to take that lead position. I'm excited about the future that God has. So maybe if you're praying, if you're a praying person, I wanted to challenge you to put them on your prayer list. All right? Let's be praying for them as we launch off in this endeavor together. Just as a, as a little pre-sermon side note, um, there are a few requirements for a great church. The most obvious one is the presence of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he is here and he's with us. Another thing is to have great leadership in which Union Chapel has as well. But here's something else that you don't always think about, but it makes perfect sense. Every great church has great people in it. And in my totally humble and unbiased opinion, this is a great church and you are great people. Yeah, we can clap for that for sure, for sure, for sure. And so I'm excited about what God has next for us together. This is great. Hey, I hope that you were able to catch last week as our first message in this 13-week series that talks about this, I believe, we're building on foundations of faith. I know many of you, you're gathering in small groups together. Some of you, for the very first time, we're going through the disciple book together. It's basically just a list of questions to talk about life together. And I'm, I'm so excited about you guys being involved with that. So we encourage you with that. The title for the second week is New Beginnings. As I thought of a passage of scripture, what better scripture than 2 Corinthians 5, where it talks about how the old is gone and the new is here. I thought, what better passage of scripture than that to kick off this message with today? And so if you would, um, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. We'll begin reading in verse 14. If you are able, would you join me on your feet as we stand in honor of reading God's word? For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you. You may be seated. May God inspire the reading and the hearing of his word. I love this new beginning that it talks about. The old is gone, the new is here, and that's an awesome, awesome thing. I want you to know that this new beginning, it's not just for everybody. This new beginning, it's for you. It's, this is your story. If you've given your life to Jesus, everything has been made new. 
And I want to unpack this whole process of how God makes everything new. And the first point I want you to see is this on the screen, is that you have a new kind of love. And so the love that God has for you, it's something transcendent. It's something more than you can ever wrap your mind around. It will take all of eternity for us to fully understand God's love for us. So this, this isn't your mama's love and your mama loves you. It's not even your sweet grandma's love for you. She loves you too. It's not your spouse's love. This is something that is totally more than all of that. Did you know that God, he created the world out of love? In fact, he knit you and formed you in your mother's womb. He did that out of love as well. His love sent Jesus to the cross. His love paid for your sins. And there's nothing like it. Nothing like it. That love, that awesome love, that spectacular love, that supernatural love, it is directed right at you, right here, right now. The infinite love of God is laser focused right on you and your heart. Verse 14 says this, that the love of Christ compels us. And again, that's a powerful love. You see, the love of God compelled Christ to offer his life for us. And the love of Christ compels us to offer ourselves to him. And when we experience that love, it compels us to offer that amazing love to others in our lives. However much you think God loves you, he loves you more, like a whole lot more. He loves you with an extravagant love. And his extravagant love, it's, he's used different illustrations to explain it. One of the most shocking ones comes from the Old Testament from the prophet Hosea. You see, Hosea, he was, he was a prophet and God told him to marry Gomer. But here's the thing, Gomer was a prostitute. And those days, I mean, that was just like an affront. The prophet of God marries a prostitute. And it wasn't like a fairy tale wedding like in the movies. This is not how it went. Because time and time again, Gomer left Hosea. They had kids together. Hosea even had to send his kids to ask their mom to come move back in with them. And years had passed. And here's what Gomer's lover did to her. He turned her into a slave. And then when he was done with her, Gomer found herself in the middle of town, on the block, for sale as a slave. And you know what happened? Hosea happened to be walking by and he saw his wife used up, rejected for sale as a slave. And Hosea had just been to the market. He bought some barley. He paid for her with the barley and all of the money that he had in his pocket. He gave everything to buy his bride back. Friends, that's just a little picture of God's love for you. Because we're, we are all Gomer. We've all run away from God. And he buys us back with all that he has. I want you to know that Jesus, he's drawing you to himself right now. And some of you, you might be angry or hurt by the circumstances in your life. You might be blaming God for the problems that you're having or, or disappointed in Jesus. And maybe even mad at hearing his name when you think about all the things that have happened to you. Even you, guess what? You, yeah, you. The person who's shaking your fist at God, he's drawing you to himself. Or maybe you're disconnected. You've been burned by the church or, or you don't even know why you're listening to this message. You don't know why you're tuning in online. I know why you are. It's because the Holy Spirit is reaching out to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's drawing you to himself. Maybe you are buried by shame and the temptations that you wrestle with. Maybe 
Addiction is hanging over your head. Jesus can't help himself. He loves you. It's like nothing else. It's more than you can imagine. Whether you live in a crack house or the white house, the Lord is drawing you to himself. And Jesus, he's even drawing you to himself if you're doing great. Maybe there's never been a time in your life when you've been more in love with Jesus. You're living with life and joy and and the Holy Spirit and everything is wonderful. Look, Jesus, he's drawing you to himself even more because that's who he is. That's what he does. Friends, this, this is a new kind of love. A second thought that we learned from this passage today about new beginnings, it's this, is that you are a new creation. God makes you new. You're brand new. I want to put verse 17 on the screen there. And it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And sometimes I kind of read past anyone. I kind of like that word, anyone, anyone who's in Christ, and that anyone includes you, it includes me. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your intelligence, whether you're white collar, blue collar, rich, poor, good, or bad. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and God will be delighted to make you brand new. You see, here's what happened to the old you. The old you dismissed the love of Jesus. The old you couldn't help but think of yourself first. The old you was stuck in fear and worry and anxiety and loneliness, but something new is happening. Something new is here. Those old thought patterns, they're being replaced with your new identity. You're making Jesus the center of your life instead of yourself. Jesus kind of described this process of being a new creation. The words he used in John 3 was he said this, I quote, you must be born again. You see, when you give your life to Jesus, you become a new creation. Now, a little bit bit of uh, basic biology just for fun here. Uh, What is a baby chicken called? A chick. That's right. What is a, a new cat or a baby cat called? A demon. I mean, a kitten. I'm sorry. I keep messing up with that. I'm so sorry for all you cat lovers out there. Have you ever thought about the word Christian? Did you know that it's like a kind of a compound word? The first part is Christ. The last part is Ian. And Christ means anointed one. And then Ian means little. So a kind of little anointed one. So when you give your life to Jesus, you are made new. You are reconciled with God. Your spirit is reconciled to him. But then once you give your life to Jesus, he starts reconciling every area of your life to himself. And so there's these pictures in the Bible that we see, like in Jude 1, it says, build yourself up in this most holy faith that we have. Ephesians 3 says, this be rooted and established in love. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. You give your life to Jesus and you are a new creation. But that's just the beginning of a journey of growth and change and transformation. Now, part of being a new creation is allowing God to reconcile every area of your life, even those things that aren't good, those things that don't reflect him. And so in other words, here's the, you are changed, but you're also being changed. Verse 18 says that God reconciled us to himself through Christ. This word reconcile, here's what it means. It means to make right, to bring together, to restore relationships. And so your spirit 
is saved, it's restored, it's reconciled at salvation. It's an event. But there's also this process of God renewing your thoughts and actions, reconciling your thoughts and actions over time. I want to put um, Romans 2, 4 on the screen. This is from the Amplified Bible. It says, or do you have no regard to the wealth of his kindness and tolerance and patience in withholding his wrath? Are you actually unaware or ignorant of the fact that God's kindness leads you to repentance? That is to change your inner self, your old way of thinking, to seek his purpose for your life. You see, when the kindness of God, the kindness of God leads you to repentance, that's called conviction. And we don't always respond to conviction the right way. God, conviction, it's a love word. It's, a, it's God loving you. It's God drawing you to himself so you can experience him all the more. You don't have to be afraid when you feel conviction. You don't have to shy away when you feel God's conviction. You should, that should give you confidence to come to him because everything God does, he does out of love. His love for you is unconditional. So when you've been a good boy or a good girl, God's love, it's strong. When you've been bad or wrong or even evil, God's love is strong. If there is a graph recording God's love, it would be at 100% all the time. If there is a tachometer that measured God's love, it would be pegged, redlined the entire time because God's love for you never wavers, never fades, and it never fails, including when he sends conviction your way. Because conviction, it's an invitation um, maybe those of you, there are some of you who are more well-behaved than me in school, but some of you might know what it's like to have your name written on the board in school. Remember that? And then, you know, the idea was for you to see your name, everyone else to see your name. Okay, now it's time to get the act together. And then if you continued to misbehave, what would happen? You'd get a little check mark or an X by your name. And then too many check marks, off you go to the principal's office. You know, there's nowhere in the Bible that records Jesus writing down anyone's name on a board. In fact, the only place that Jesus writes your name down, it's in the Lamb's book of life because he loves you and he believes in you and he is drawing you to himself. I want to I put this verse that uh, we were reading in 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11 back up on the screen. Uh, if we could put that up, that'd be great. And so godly sorrow, it brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. No regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. I have to confess to you that my go-to feeling when I fail, when God's conviction comes my way, is worldly sorrow. Because worldly sorrow brings death, and death is separation. You see, worldly sorrow, it's filled with shame rather than love. Worldly sorrow tempts you away from God, pulls you away from God through guilt and shame and hurt. I want you to challenge you just to think back in your life to something that you did wrong. Sometime before you experience God's conviction. Now we've all got our hurts, habits, hangups. We've got all, of, we all have those things. So I'm not gonna tell anybody yours. Just go back there. Think back there with me. And so when you realize that you made a mistake, what was your response? Were you like Adam and Eve? 
You know what happened to them? They ate uh, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then they heard God walking and they hid in shame because they realized that they were naked and they hid from God in shame. Do you hide from God in shame? That's the wrong response. That is worldly sorrow. That's worldly. That's not what God wants his conviction to be about. Because what happens to us sometimes is that these thoughts roll through our head. I can't come to God again about this. I've disappointed Jesus. How about this one? I'm not worthy to be forgiven. Friends, those are all lies from the pit of hell. Or maybe you just give yourself a good tongue lashing in your head. You stupid, no good brain. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? You know, we say these things about ourselves when we mess up, but that's not from God. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible that helps clarify all these things for us, and it's uh, Romans 8, verse 1. I want you to see every single word of this verse. Let's read it, read it out loud. I'll read it. You listen. It says, There is therefore now some condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it's real important that the word some is there because, because Jesus needs your help. You know, he couldn't just pay for your sin on the cross. He, he needs you to grovel a little bit. He needs you like to wallow around in shame or maybe hit yourself or beat yourself up because you need a little bit of condemnation, right? Oh, is that not what it says? So help me out. What does it say? It says, there is therefore now no condemnation. Look, that applies to you. You are not distinct in the world. Your sin does not distinguish yourself from anybody else. <laughs> Jesus is drawing you to himself. He paid for your sin. It's an affront to the grace and the love of God to run away from him in shame. So run to Jesus right now. He is calling you to himself. God has made you a new creation and reconciled you. He has reconciled you because he loves you so much. And a little phrase stood out. A little phrase stood out. No regret. Can you imagine that? No regret. That means that when you look at your sin and your shame, you say, well, God used that to draw me to himself. No regret says, I don't, I'm going to tell other people about this because my story is going to help somebody else. Somebody is right now where I was before, and my story is going to help them. That's powerful. 2 Corinthians 7, 10, and 11 It says, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. It's like this eagerness and an earnestness to clear yourselves, like an indignation. That's a hatred for the things that you've done. But it comes with an alarm and a longing for God and a concern to see him do mighty, wonderful things in your life to see justice happen. You see, godly sorrow, it fills you with determination to love God more completely. You see, when you fail, get in touch with the love that God has for you. Not the shame from the devil, not the condemner, not the liar, not the accuser, the lover of your soul. Have you ever thought about this question? What's the best time for me to repent? I have the answer, like right now, like right now. Or maybe even the the very second you realize that you've done something wrong. The second the conviction of God hits your mind, the second that thought rolls through your brain, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You need to confess to God right then. That means the best time for you to confess is like 
you're looking at stuff that you promised you'd never look at again, and here you are. You've closed the browser on your computer. You've turned off your phone. You haven't even cleared your history. That's the time to repent to God. Maybe you said, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to go there again, and you're buzzed. You're buzzed, but you're convicted. That's the best time for you to come to God is right then and right there. Yes, you can come to God with a buzz. You can come to God with a hangover because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords loves you with an everlasting love and he's drawing you to himself. You know what? You are. You are a new creation and let God bring that new creation out of you. Our third thought is this. Check it out on the screen. It says that you have a new purpose. You have a new reason to live. You have a new reason for life. The focus of your life has shifted and changed. I want you to see this as well. When your life belongs to Jesus, you no longer exist for yourself. Now, there's a popular message in our culture today. We are also focused on our own happiness. You know, there's this phrase... It's like in an important founding document, you know, there's life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. And we take that seriously, but we need to shift our happiness to make our joy in God and not ourselves. Because once we make that shift, we get to experience the joy of God rather than our own pathetic little happiness. We get the eternal, powerful, supernatural joy of God in our lives, which is so much better. I'd like to put 2 Corinthians 5.18 on the screen. Check this out. It says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against them as he committed us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You see, you have this new purpose, this new purpose to help people experience Jesus, to help people understand his wonderful, amazing, spectacular grace. Paul's repetition here is just to get our attention. I mean, the phrase here is intentional. The message of reconciliation and the ministry of reconciliation, that belongs to you. You should get a t-shirt with that on it. That's your job description. And well, what's the message of reconciliation? Well, it's that Jesus died on the cross, that he paid for your sins, that he draws you to himself. And your message of reconciliation, this is your story of Jesus, how you gave your life to Jesus. And we all downplay our own story. Oh, my story's not that exciting. It's not that important. Ho-hum. Look, your story is your story, and your story has power because someone else is going to identify with your story. Your story is going to help bring freedom and life and joy into someone else's life. That is your purpose. And I love this phrase that God literally, he makes his appeal to other people through you. Have you ever thought about this? God's plan for the world to reveal himself to the world is through you. I mean, you are the plan of God to reach this world. The kingdom of God, the love of God, the reconciliation of God, it travels person to person through relationships. Now, every now and then someone will have a dream and Jesus will come to them in a dream. 
But 99% of the people who give their lives to Jesus, they do that because someone like you invited them to be a part of things, invited them to give their lives to Jesus, invited them to come to church and prayed for them and loved them. The reconciling power of God's contagious. It travels through our relationships and your story has power. So don't hide your doubt. Don't hide your sin because that very thing is gonna be just what somebody else needs. You know, here's what we found. We've launched off all these new groups. I've had so many people come up to me and say, Glenn, I can't believe I'm leading a group. This is way out of my comfort zone. I said, you're gonna do great. All you gotta do is talk it through with other people. I've had other people say, I've never been in a small group before and I'm not sure about this. On our first week that we met, we started telling each other stories and it encourages us. It blesses us to hear what God is doing in other people's lives. It encourages us. We're able to pray for other people, to help other people in their journey with Jesus. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing and you can do that too. It doesn't matter if you can't be there every single week. Maybe you said, well, my schedule's kind of busy. I really don't think I can pull that off every week. Fine, just (laughs) come on whenever you can. In fact, you can even go to our website right now. You can grab your phone, open the Union Chapel app. You can go to small groups. There's a a link right there. If you go to our web web page and you go to grow and you go down to small groups, there's this big blue button right in the middle. You can't miss it. Just scroll down, you'll see that big blue button. I wanna be in a small group. This is mysterious, very mysterious. You click that button, you can sign up for a group. You should do it today. Some of you have been putting it off. You should do it today. We'll be glad to have you in a group around here. Okay, you get it, you get it. We have a new purpose. And I think perhaps one of the most important things I might talk about today, it's this thought, number four. You have a new hope. You see the context for this passage of how God makes everything new, the context for this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, like the first 10 verses, they're all focused on heaven, the hope that we have in Jesus, what heaven's gonna be like, we're gonna have a new body. In fact, it uses language like this. It says, oh, we groan. We groan longing to be in heaven. It says that our bodies, they're just tents, temporary dwelling places for our spirits where we're gonna be released in heaven with God. See, we were created for the purpose of knowing God and being with him. And this word reconciliation has been thrown around a lot this morning. It's used a lot in this passage. Have you ever thought about this? When am I fully and completely reconciled to God? Now, your spirit's reconciled to God when you give your life to him. And you know that other areas of your life, they're continually reconciled to God as you follow his responses in conviction as you offer yourself to him and he renews those areas. But heaven, heaven is when we're fully reconciled to God. I do a lot of funerals. And here's a question that I ask at a lot of funerals to help us get perspective. And I say, what could be the best day in this person's life? And then people always think, like the grandkids, they're like, no, it's when I was born. That's the best day in this person's life. Or maybe when they married this person. But then I ask this question, to clear everything up. What's the best day in any Christian's life? And it's when we get to be with Jesus. It's when we get to be in heaven. This is the hope that we have. Now, I want to kind of help you process a very common question today. I've heard this many times. It's this, how can a loving God send people to hell? 
why wouldn't a loving God just send everyone to heaven? And before I kind of address that, I just want us to realize that you and I and every person who ever has and ever will walk the face of the earth, we have all sinned. We are all on our way to hell. We all have no hope. Jesus was the one who made a way for us. He made a way for us to experience God in heaven. A better question is, why would anyone ever reject the Lord our God who sent his son Jesus to reconcile us to himself? Why would we ever say no to that? You see, throughout the Bible, um, God compares heaven to a wedding and to a marriage. And so in all honesty, when I was first writing this, this message, the last point, I titled it, uh, You Have a New Destination. And I had to change it because heaven, it is a place. It is a destination, but it's so much more than that. You know, heaven, it's not like Disney World where, you know, you buy a ticket and get in. It's not like a place, you know, like a gated community where you get the secret code from the person who lives there and you press in the code, you get to come in. That's, heaven is so much more than that. It is a place, but more than that, it's a relationship. It's like a marriage. It's like a bride and a groom. Well, I want you to know that back in the fall of 1991, 32 years ago, this guy asked Leslie if she would marry me. In fact, uh, this picture, uh, we took this picture together just uh, earlier this summer. Look at that. How in the world did I pull that off? <laughs> Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. And she said yes. She said yes. And here's why. It's not because I had a gun or, or because, you know, I was holding the family hostage based on whether or not she said yes or not, you know, because that's not love. God's not into kidnapping. Love requires a choice. Here's what I told my bride. I said, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And she said, I want to spend the rest of my life with you too. God's asking you the same question. See, heaven's a relationship more than it is a place. Here's what Leslie couldn't do. She couldn't do, um, I want to marry you, but I don't want to have anything to do with you. Um, I don't really like you, or you know, I don't really care about you. You're not important to me. I mean, that all comes later. It's a joke. Get, thank you. <laughs> but you get the point. And so how can we say, why wouldn't God let everyone into heaven? He is. He lets everyone, everyone who would receive him. He's asking you, do you want to be with me? Do you want to love me? Do you want to know me? And the reason that hell is so bad is because every good thing comes from God. And there are good things that we all get to experience. Even if we hate God and disparage his name continually, we get to experience all these kinds of good things where there's love and joy and peace and all kinds of wonderful things we get to experience. But every good thing comes from God. And so when you say no to God, you're saying no to every good thing as well. And so you separate yourself and you become a sea of selfishness. And that's hell, friends. And that's hell. And so we, what we want to do is we want to focus ourselves on the hope of heaven. 
That's a place for us. And as you think about the hope of heaven, I want to come back to the challenges and the circumstances that we deal with in life and how it's hard to reconcile the pain of the world with, with God and his love. Well, heaven does that for us. It's the great equalizer. I want to put 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 on the screen. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, the challenges of life, are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen right here and now, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, if you are struggling, if you're dealing with depression or your health goes out the window, you need the hope of heaven. When things happen in your life that seem unfair and unjust and unrighteous and awful and terrible, you need the hope of heaven. When you bury someone that you love, you bury your partner, you bury your parent, you bury your child, you need the hope of heaven. Without the hope of heaven, you will definitely misunderstand God's love. Without the hope of heaven, you will feel like God does not care and he is not there. And it's impossible for you to have the right perspective on life and God without this amazing, amazing hope. Hey, by the way, I just want to give a big hello to our online family. And so I'm so glad for you guys. Some of you, you're tuning in because you just can't be here. It's too far to get here. That's great. That's great. Some of you are tuning in today because it's just more convenient. I mean, you're sitting on your couch. You got your bunny slippers on and your boxers. And that's all good. We're glad you're able to do it. But hey, I want you to know it's better in person. You can come on in. So pull on some pants. You know, get dressed. Come on in. Just come as you are. That's all good. It's all good. Come on in. But the point of me bringing that up is that there's other people of you joining us online today. And you can't bring yourself to come. Because you're mad at God. I mean, you're hurt. You're wondering why in the heck would I ever come to God if all this is happening to me? And I want to tell you right now, God is reaching out to you. And he's telling you that you need the hope of heaven. You need to know that there's a brighter tomorrow coming your way. You need to know that there's joy and peace and life and healing that's bigger than whatever you can experience in this world because he loves you that much. He loves you that much. It's absolutely impossible to fully understand God's love and care without this hope. And so the God of new beginnings, the God of love and hope, he's prepared a place for you. He wants you to be with him right where he is. In fact, Jesus, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, I want you to be with me right where I am. And here's what you might not realize. Those are actually words that describes what happens when a man asks a woman to marry him in his day. Because what you would do is you would get permission to ask someone to marry you. And then as a man, you would build him a place to live. You would make him a house. And that's why Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a house for you because I want you to be with me. And the illustration I want you to take from that, I want you to know that Jesus, he's getting down on one knee. 
He's looking you in the eye and he's saying, will you say yes to me? Will you marry me? Will you be mine? Will you be with me forever? Will you trust me? Will you open up yourself to me? And I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that you say yes. Hope that you say yes to him because God wants you to experience a brand new, spectacular kind of love. He wants to make you a new creation. He wants to give you a new purpose and fill you with the awesome hope of heaven. Well, if you would, would you join me on your feet? Well, if you're able, we're going to read and recite together in unison the Apostles' Creed. We're going to close every single message throughout the rest of this series by reading that. And the worship team's coming up at this time as well. And so everybody, out loud, all together, the words will be on the screen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Jesus, as we close our eyes, we all realize, no matter where we are, all of us need more of your love in our lives. And Jesus, I have to recognize that you're reaching out right now. Jesus is reaching out to you. He's reaching you through your pain. He's reaching out through your sin and your failures. He's reaching out to you through your disappointments and even through your doubt. And can you just open up your open up your eyes mentally to see Jesus with a smile on his face. As he knows everything about you, his grin gets even bigger. And right now, he embraces you in his arms. And he loves you. And I want you to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as he breaks that embrace go down on one knee. Saying, will you be with me forever? you give yourself to me? And maybe you're in the room and for the very first time you've realized that you need to give your life to Jesus. You want to settle it. You want to, you want, you want to know yourself and you want him to know that you're serious, that you want to live for him for the rest of your life. You want to give your heart to Jesus, give your life to Jesus. Just simply raise your hand. Just raise your hand right now, wherever you are. I want to know for sure that I can go to heaven. I want to give my life to Jesus. Good for you. Good for you. Yes, 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 yes. And maybe you're at home right now. You can raise your hand at home. Or if you're driving in the car, raise your hand right now. It's just a statement of faith that I want to give my life to Jesus. That's so good. We are going to pray with you. No one at Union Chapel prays alone. So would everybody in the room, would you please repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new. I give my life to you. I can't wait for heaven. Help me bring people with me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, friends. Let's celebrate the people who've given their lives to Jesus. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing. What an awesome thing. So friends, we serve a God who loves you and deserves to be praised. Let's worship him together.